Hello everyone, I'm Dennis and this is Sheep Valley, a show about Sheffield startups. The goal of this podcast is to increase the connectedness within Sheffield startup ecosystem and give another platform to local founders to talk about their ventures. Today's episode is the first of the rubric Building Ecosystems and it is with Jem Henderson, Tech Nation's Entrepreneur Engagement Manager for the Yorkshire region. For those of you who haven't heard of it, Tech Nation is one of the leading British organizations that supports startups and startup ecosystem, from ideation stage to scale-up stage through different programs and support. Some of the alumni members of Tech Nation include Deliveroo, Crowdcube, Transferwise, Box, Just Eat, and Twinkle as a Sheffield representative. Jem is the go-to person when it comes to Yorkshire ecosystems and startups, and it was great to learn more about the development of Leeds, Hull, Sheffield, and other cities, and what is the next stage in development for the region. Our conversation didn't stay in line the whole time, and we straight away into discussing utopias and whether the world is currently better than it was 150 years ago. But all in all, I think it was a great episode, and I hope you enjoy it as well. So I'm here today with Jim Henderson from Tech Nation. Hi, Jim. How are you feeling today? I'm really good, thank you. Really good. I'm excited to do to do this to be here. Great, me as well. So we might as well just jump to the first question, where I would like to for you to uncover what did you what did you do and how did your professional career sum up be, before Tech Nation? Well, I have done a extraordinary amount of different jobs. So. I've been an apprentice hairdresser. I've been an apprentice painter and decorator. I, oh, what else have I done? I was a chef <clears throat> for a time. And then I ended up having some poor mental health and I got signed off sick. And my boss at the time, who was my, my painter and decorator, basically said, Jem, I think you should go to university. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> while, I was, while I was signed off sick, I, I, I was at university. I ended up doing three degrees uh, in art, English and creative writing. And then two weeks after I handed in my uh, master's dissertation for creative writing, I landed myself a job as a junior tech copywriter for a data centre in Harrogate, where I'm from. I really enjoyed that. It was interesting. I was doing kind of quite high, high level, intense white papers there was also a little spin out of this organization who who did digital health so i had to go off and, and write all of these white papers on digital health and it was it was essentially like writing mini dissertations again it was really good fun um, but one thing i did find is that working in this kind of really corporate world i had all my job done so monday i'd get in and i'd do all of my work and i'd be done by tuesday lunchtime so i started up a freelance copywriting business just because i was like like, I need something to do. I can't just sit here and pretend to be working. It doesn't work for me. So, yeah, I started a freelance copywriting business. Then I got made redundant after seven months and just went, well, I might as well do this. I might as well do this freelance copywriting stuff. So I did that. And then I was very privileged to meet a lady called Caroline Gorski, who at the time, I think, worked for Telefonica as their head of the Internet, head of Internet of Things. And essentially writing for her, I had to write whole bunch of articles about blockchain about ai about the internet of things about corporate creativity it was yeah it was a lot but it was essentially like doing an apprenticeship in in deep tech so then kind of on the back of that ended up getting a job at digital catapult where i worked as a product manager and community manager for um, 
the IoT UK programme, so still working in the Internet of Things. And then all sorts, really. Kept doing that. Started a co-working space in Harrogate, which kind of went horribly wrong, but Taylor's was fine. And then from there, went on to, to start at, at Tech Nation as the Entrepreneur Engagement Manager. So, yeah, pretty higgledy-piggledy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, this is a really diverse diverse number and just just the range from did you say chef yeah yes from chef yeah i was a chef when i was sick so i i i moved out of home when i was 16 and i think i started chefing i think i started as a pot wash so like washing dishes and then i've been cooking since i was nine years old so it was pretty easy to go yeah i'll just i'll just jump on here and do this food stuff shall i yeah so it was quite interesting yeah and so then you went to junior to junior copywriting in a data center. Yeah. I guess this is where your uh, interest for technology arose from. Well, kind of. I would say that actually I'm a geek. Like I love science fiction. Mm -hmm. And so I think that love of technology goes hand in hand with a love of Star Trek. Like it, it says it on my LinkedIn profile. But, you know, I, I work in tech because I'm trying to bring about that future. So that's what, yeah, works for me. Yeah. It's so interesting how so, so, so much interest in tech by so many people is was kind of started due to Star Trek, due to video games. I heard Elon Musk talk about it, where he was like, I developed my interest through in tech through video games. And I just found it fascinating because these are things which we kind of take as, you know, as, as, as hobbies, as kind of like wasting time in a sense. You know, nice. playing, that, that's it, the joy of, of a good job. If you can find a hobby yeah. and make it into a job or find something that you're good at. So in my job right now, I would say I, I like to call it a digital gossip. So it's about going out and talking to everybody and finding out what's going on so that when one person comes to me and says, oh, I need help with this, I can always go, oh, you should talk to that person because yeah. I know that I've been doing that because I've been I've been talking to them. But I do that naturally anyway. So I was in Sheffield in the before time, before COVID. I came over to meet Mark Asquith um, oh, yes. from Rebel Base Media and just chatting to him like about his stuff and about, about his podcast tech. And he runs a podcast called Spark of Rebellion, which is about yeah. uh, Star Wars. And my, one of my best mates is a massive Star Wars fan. Like he has hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of Star Wars toys in his house. And he DJs at the Star Wars toys convention in in the UK. And so Mark's co-host wasn't available to to work, <clears throat> to do the podcast that week. So I was like, oh, oh, we should, I'll, I'll have to introduce you to my mate Trev. I'm sure he'll come across and do it. And he did. But that was that mo moment where I kind of went, hang on a minute. This is this is just my life. This is just what I do. Yeah. And now Technation pays me to do it. Amazing. Yeah. And by the way, Mark was my was my previous guest on the podcast. There you go. He's a yeah. good egg. Yeah. <laughs> and and also I'm using um, Captivate, which is a podcast yeah. hosting company which which he set up. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. And actually I think that this is this is really cool because in a sense, your job is to know people, to have a lot of contacts. To be to be kind of sociable, to be able yeah. to introduce people, which that's so cool. And and genuinely, when I when I organized start, my first startup weekend in Sheffield back in April 2019, and mm -hmm. then I, and then I led the organization of the second one in November. That was one of the aspects I enjoyed the most because 
you you meet more people, you get to know more people, which means that when you meet more people, then you kind of exactly. have it all sparks off into a tree of everybody yes. knowing everybody, and yes. you sit as the trunk at the heart <laughs> of it. Yeah, it's good. I love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I completely agree with you, and I could see why why you would love what you're doing. Apart from the aspect of startups as well, which is which is obviously very very exciting, and the tech aspect of it. And actually, I want to ask you: How did you particularly get into your role in in tech nations? How did you encounter the concept of startups, and why did you decide that this is something that you want to do? You know, help startups and ecosystems develop. Well, I guess like I'm an entrepreneur myself. I had my own copywriting business so like I'm an entrepreneur and and you know that's the kind of startup at one point I even employed people I, I even employed the Star Wars nerd I was just talking about for a little bit um when I was on maternity leave so like I guess it's just it's just, I find entrepreneurs people that have that ambition that drive to like do something like oh this is this is a thing I'm I could do this I can make it I find those people really engaging and really interesting and so those are the kind of people that I guess I want to hang out with. That's why I started a co-working space because I wanted to surround myself with those people that have that, that drive and ambition. But I will say the best bit about Tech Nation and the kind of startups that I come across now, you know, we're not talking about accountancy startups here. We're not talking about copywriting startups, but, you know, tech businesses. Yeah. Is the kind of people that start tech businesses fascinating and they're like they'll use the technology you know whether it's ai or iot or whatever you know some they'll be doing something and i just go that's how do you even think that's so interesting and i just really like that you know people that think they can change the world even you know it doesn't have to be the next uber or the next whatever it is just like little incremental changes those are just as exciting to me and i think there's a passion that founders have you know, and, and it could be in anything. So talking to a lady called Sandra Moore in Leeds at her, her, her company, Pan Intelligence, and she's just launched um, this thing called, come on, you can do it, no-code data labs. And that's about kind of democratizing access to technology through through the use of no-code apps. Yeah. And like, I love that. I love the idea of somebody like, being a tech founder and like trying to change this business intelligence part of the world and then going, but how can we apply this to everything? How can we get everybody to do it? I just, I yeah. think it's really engaging and inspiring and I'm an ambitious person myself. And so like, I, it's a great, it's great to surround myself with people like that. Yeah. I love that. And by the way, I I saw Pan Intelligence a startup on one of the technician reports or the rising stars rubric i think i actually i'm not sure whether i invited what was the name of the founder sorry andrew moore andrew yes i'm not sure whether i i invited him or whether i thought yeah. about it no, no, i'm not having that it's a, it's a woman woman founder not bigger up she is absolutely oh. amazing yes yes but because you know i wanted to do a couple of episodes with uh, founders outside of sheffield but yes, well i'll tell you what i can definitely introduce you to some of those oh, that's brilliant <laughs> Thank you very much. Hello, and talking about Tech Nation, mm-hmm. you you just said that one of the aspects you like about it is exactly that you deal with very you know with deep tech startups, uh, with uh, help tech, with a lot of different uh, types of types of tech businesses. And Tech Nation is one of the most popular, I would say, one of the most successful organizations in 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 the UK. 
not sure worldwide probably probably is as well uh, but i only know about the impact in the uk but i would assume that no not everyone has heard about it or not everyone knows about it could you please just tell us a little bit more about the organization itself uh, what does it do and also your specific role in terms of yorkshire in the humber region okay so like tech nation is here to support ambitious tech founders across the uk so a series of programs in everything from AI through to net zero through to fintech. We run kind of scaling programs. We really support scale up businesses. The kind of entry point at which we start to engage with tech companies is rising stars, as you just said, which we term early stage scale up businesses. I will say that that basically does mean late stage startup businesses. And actually my job on the ground as the entrepreneur engagement manager is to talk to, I have to talk to startups because in our ecosystem in Yorkshire, the companies that we can support, you know, the st- we have to support startups in Yorkshire and we have to support startups in different, you know, kind of less advanced ecosystems yeah. because if we're not supporting the startups, then we're never going to get to the point where we have scale ups for our programs. But that means that I, you know, I do all sorts. So like I had I had an email this morning from somebody who was literally just at the point, like, we've got this idea for a business. What do I do? Where do I go? And yeah, okay, it might just be a quick phone call or it might be an email, but it's a it's a look, these are the resources, these are the people that you need to speak to. Right through to so like Sandra Moore from Pan Intelligence, they were on our upscale program last year. We have Bidnamic, I think, currently on our upscale program, a leads company that Oh God, I'm going to expose myself as not really that techie. They do something to do with Google Ads and AI that makes it better. That's the technical term. So yeah, like so there's somebody that does my job in every single region. As I said earlier, my job is entrepreneur engagement manager. 50% of that is finding those companies for our programs, going out and engaging with them. That could be writing articles about them. It could just be signposting them to 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 cap to, to BC. VCs. It could be sitting down with them and going through a pitch deck and going through a pitch to make sure that you know when they do go to pitch to the VC that everything is absolutely right. And then the other bit is that digital gossip piece. So it's going out and talking to the co-working spaces and the accelerators and just making sure that I have a really clear view of who's doing what so that when one of these founders says, oh, I need help with this, I can always say, oh, you're there. Oh, you need to talk to that person. Right. And when I've, when I've seen the, the types of businesses that have been part of technicians cohorts, businesses like, like Just Eat, like Revolut, Crowdcube, businesses that now are kind of leading the way in the UK in terms of tech innovation. And it just shows that technician obviously can support, as you said, late stage startups or early stage scale ups to really grow to the next level. So would you list some of the examples of positives that, that uh, startups and scales that join tech nations? can take okay. from the organization? Well, let's take a company that I adore in Leeds. So a company called VetAI, they are headed up by a chap called Paul Hallett. That There are other founders, but Paul is the chap that I deal with mostly. And he will tell you that Tech Nation have been pivotal to their growth as, as a company. So VetAI were a Rising Stars competition winner a couple of years ago and you know you would think that you come and do a pitch competition and you come and you get some PR and you get a trophy and you get to attend the thing and you get the free beers and then 
fine. But it doesn't really work like that because my job is to champion his company. And, you know, I am so proud to know them as a company. And I'm so proud that they're based in Yorkshire. And I'm so proud that they do this work with the University of Leeds. And so at every available opportunity, when I can shout about them, I, I do, because that to me is really vitally important. You know, it's, I, I, I absolutely chippy them to get them to apply for the next level yeah. program as well. But it's not just about that. It's, you know, if Paul comes to me with an issue, even post being on our program, there is support. There is something there that I can do to help him. And so, yeah, I think, I don't know where I was going to go with that point. <laughs> yeah, that'll just have to do you for that question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I guess the fact that you can have a dedicated person instead of, of an organization like Tech Nation and also a dedicated person for the for the ecosystem who can kind of guide you through the whole, through, the whole, through all stages and through all these different programs. There's, so we're going to talk... I think I have, yeah, I sent you a question about the different programs. So we're going to talk about them in, in a while, but there's like a plethora of different programs that startups and scale-ups can join. But I want to move into to ecosystems because in the end of the day, you support the whole region of Yorkshire and Humber. In a sense, this is an ecosystem in itself, but it's kind of structured. Of yes. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to ask you, you just spoke about that your job is kind of to identify trends, to know, you know, where startups are popping up, what are they doing, what is happening? Would you say from from the work you've done that you've noticed whether there is a particular pattern slash framework slash recipe for building a successful ecosystem or is it purely circumstantial? I think it's a little bit of both. So what you will see is a big organization kind of, so let's take as an example, Skybet, who have, you know, that they're in they're in Leeds, they have a, you know, they pay really really well, which has disrupted the the market when it comes to employment. They employ a huge amount of people. You know, they're they're a unicorn, but people don't want to work for one. You know, this isn't like the 1900s. You don't start working for somebody when you turn 18 and then retire working for yes. the same company. People move around. So having these huge players in an ecosystem is really pivotal. And it might not be Skybet. So let's take fintech. So in Wales, I mean, you know, I only know this because my colleague in Wales tells me all this stuff. So in Wales, you end up getting, there'll be a company that does really, really, really well uh, in fintech. With, I think it's confused.com that they have down there. And so they get loads of experts working for that company who are specialized in that specific sector. And then they go off and go, you know what, I want to, I'm entrepreneurial, I want to do my own thing. So you start to see these people that are trained up in a specific sector go off and start their own companies. And those companies start to be successful because they've already been part of a successful company. And so what ends up happening is you get clusters of activity. That's why you get like in Sheffield, you've got EdTech because Twinkle's there. Yes. Yeah, started up. I mean, it's not just that, there's also the influence of the universities. So where there is a particularly good course, it might be in computer science, it might be in something else, and people stay. And so that starts to percolate the ecosystem as well. But I would say that to really build an effective hub and to build an effective ecosystem, the support has to be built around what's there. You can't just percolate an ecosystem out of nothing. You can't, yeah, they don't just pop up randomly 
I guess that the first company kind of does. And actually, one of the things that Technation is here for is we we believe that you don't have to be in London to be a successful startup, because I think that is a, a thing that people think. But actually, you know, the ambition that we have is that you can be anywhere in the UK and have access to the support that you need to grow and to be a big a big success. And I think one of the things that's happened with COVID is we're going to start to see that sea change. Why why would you go to London where the office space is absolutely extortionate and the competition for talent is really quite fierce, where now you can just go, well, we're going to have like, we'll have meetings once a month in this place and you can all work wherever you want. Yeah, like I think we're, we're going to see some really interesting times coming up around what ecosystem means. Because what's an ecosystem? What's what is place? How important is place to an ecosystem? I don't think it's not important. I do think those clusters will still happen, and they will still have some power, and they will still draw talents. You'll still see cities being that focus for yep. for, um, for ecosystems because that's where the universities are and that's where the talent is. But when you hit like forty and you've got two kids. Do you really want to live in a city or do you want to work from home and live in live at the seaside? Yep. I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah. what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I had a similar conversation with a, with a friend who is at, who's at university. And uh, there was an article about JP Morgan, was it, or Goldman Sachs, one of the really like well-established traditional banks where their CEO or really leadership person in leadership has oh, said that you know you're all coming back to the office that oh guy. yes yes basically um, basically good luck with that mate have fun with finding people right I, just, I think that's kind of oblivious right the, the the genie is out of the bottle i've worked from home for a long time i've worked from myself and you know so the transit don't be wrong i think the transition was challenging for some people yeah um but I don't know about you, but like my productivity is higher. I, I got more done. My house was tidier, frankly, because I could, you know, spend five minutes doing some tidying up and some laundry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just, it's a better model for living. Like I said, I don't think it's for everybody. And I think some yeah. people might want to be in the office three days a week and some people might want to be in the office once a month. Yeah. But being able to facilitate that, that's what a modern company needs to be doing. That's that's where I had disagreements with my friend because he didn't he didn't just say I think that people should have the choice to go to office or or work from home. He basically said that because these companies are so established and have their culture spanning out decades if not centuries, kind of we we kind of shouldn't want to work from home because going to the office has the intangibles like feeling the culture of a place just the just the vibe and honestly i disagree with that yes i agree there's people who want to go to office and by the way i've had moments where i've worked from home where i want to be surrounded by people you know i kind of like i've worked in an office uh, before i like the vibe genuinely especially i guess it it, it it comes down to to the people you're surrounded by most more than you know whether you're working in an office or not but there there is a good vibe uh, in 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 certain environments however i actually i absolutely believe that you should be given the choice because there is no reason to go to an office uh, when, when you're commuting. I remember I went to an internship in, in an office space in a, comp in a Gartner research and advisory company in 2019. And uh, one of my 
one of my uh, managers, she was commuting an hour and a half per day. Who could, who could be bothered with that? One like, way. I live a 20-minute, like a 10-minute walk and a 10-minute train drive, drive from yeah. the working space that I work in. I mean, I obviously love being surrounded by people, and yeah. likewise, I set up a co-working space because I understand the value of those random meetings, those coffees that you have with people. Like, I totally get the value of that. Yeah. This doesn't need to be every single day. That's that's bonkers. You know, yeah. even when I had a co-working space, I only went in like two or three days a week because I had other stuff going on. I mean, I was doing this job, so I had to be out in Sheffield yeah. and, and everywhere else. But yeah, I think this whole office Monday to Friday, nine to five model, well, say, say, saying that, well, that's a business culture. Yeah, but the internet's happened since then. It might have been a business culture for a hundred or like, but like the internet has radically changed our lives, right? Yes. And so this idea that, well, yeah, but that's how it used to be done. And so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I have to, I have to make a, make a note though, because I do believe that there are jobs which can be done from home still for, I work in a fulfillment center. I travel, by the way, I travel hour and a half one way, which don't get me wrong. It is tiring. Definitely. If I could, if I could work from home, I would probably have chosen that. But in a fulfillment center, I can't do my job. Can do my job from home. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I, you, you can't, you can't be a doc. I mean, that's maybe can be a doctor from home. We've got like Japanese robots that can do. Yeah, probably oh, soon. But like, yeah, yeah. I think we've definitely seen, like, in 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 lockdown. You know, all of those jobs that have to be done in person, whether yes. that's in shops, whether that's working in care, whether that's working yeah. in, in the health sector, maybe actually this new change was mean that we start to value those jobs more as well. I think that's one of the things I, w I would like to see come out of the, the, the back of, of being in lockdown and out of COVID because we, we did, you know, people put their lives on bus drivers, bus drivers were putting their lives on the line yeah. and we don't, we don't value that. And that's outrageous to me. So let's hope that when we come out of this, it looks a bit better. Don't even want to get started on the whole respect our heroes, NHS are heroes thing, because it infuriates me. Because, you know, yeah, NHS are heroes, we can scream it all we want, but NHS are heroes doesn't pay doesn't most pay people's that. bills. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but yeah, jobs like, you know, you, you don't need to go to an office to write code. You don't need to go, go to an office if, you, if you're doing copywriting. You don't need to go to an office if your work is primarily done on, on a computer. It, it literally doesn't make sense. And, and I, I agree, choice should be given. There's people, as I said, they, they like the culture. If they want to go to an office, absolutely, they should be able to. But if you want to work from home because you have priorities such as, you know, children, so, uh, saving on commute. My sister, she... She she lives and works in Bulgaria, where I'm from. She worked in an office, like her first... So she started September 2019, worked until March 2020 in an office. Then COVID hit. She, she, she came home to work from home. She absolutely adored it. Because as you, you know, she used to do like bits and bobs. Laundry here, cooking there, a, a little nap if you're tired. You know, it I'll could be... That little afternoon nap. That's, that's secretly what we're all in it for. Right? <laughs> I, I, I hope my sister's employers are not listening to this, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I, I believe in, in, in the, in the choice of if you could work from home. I'm going to come back to that nap point because ultimately our circadian rhythms in our bodies yep. 
don't work the way that office yes. work does. Like, you know, in Spain, you get to have like a three hour siesta after yeah. lunchtime. Like, that's because that's how your body actually works. So maybe we should like incorporate that into our working lives. But then we get onto the subject of do people really need to work an eight hour day? Because they do say that people are only yeah. productive for three hours a day. So why can't you just be productive for those three hours and then tidy your house for the rest of the time? Yeah. I, don't know. I, I read like, something. Read something about. I think Spain was it uh, that they're introducing a four-day work week, but I'm not sure whether they're introducing a four-day eight-hour work week or a four-day ten-hour work week. Yeah, see, this is the thing. Whenever we see these yeah. conversations about, oh, well, we're going to switch to a four four-day week, like yeah, but you're not t t reducing the hours. That actually, yeah. you don't need to work that many hours because some of that time you're not really working. working. I mean, yeah. Don't be wrong. I'm sure there are plenty of people. That are. Oh, yes. Most pretends to work 100 hours a week or whatever it is, and I'm sure he doesn't. I don't think all the time he spends shit posting on Twitter counts as work, personally, but who am I to say? Yeah. <laughs> so it just feels like it's just a constant thing that you have to yes. work to make the world a better place, and then not just for, for you, but for everybody. Yeah. I One, one good quote from a book called Factfulness where exactly these things are listed, which, which says, why do we think the world is, is, is worse than it actually is? And it says, yes, the world is not, is not perfect. It's not, it's not great. It might not even be good, but that doesn't mean that we can't accept the fact that it's better in, mm -hmm. in, in, in some sense. But yeah, but we so... we can't use that as a place to stand still and then say, but well, it's no. better now. No. It has to be a continuous... Of course. Journey. Of course. No, that's... I, I agree that's with you. Trek. You see, this is why I'm doing it. <laughs> You're gonna hate me, but I actually haven't seen Star Trek. Any of it at all. Any, it's on, I'm it's on Netflix. You know, you can just watch it. It's fine. I'm actually not a big sci-fi fan. Well, there's no hope for some people, right? <laughs> I don't know what can I say. Yeah, but uh... I think science fiction is really interesting because it's exploring utopia. You know, yep. we're sitting, we are sitting here talking about utopia and yep. you know, fiction writers and. And, and movie makers are actually going, well, what does that look like? Yeah. How? And I just think that's really interesting. Um, I really like science fiction as a lens to explore these things that we've been talking about. You know, I'm trying to think of a science fiction film, but what's the science fiction film with Matt Damon and there's a big ring where all of the rich people live around the world and everybody else lives on the, on the earth and it's all really crap. I can't remember what it's called. That is an exploration of class and colonisation and, yeah. and, and capitalism. I just, I think it's super, really interesting. I've been watching, oh, what is it called? The Expanse. Oh, yes, um, on Prime. Yeah, yeah, and that's really good as well because that's doing that same thing where there are the kind of working class people who live out in the belt who do the mining, whose um, resources are controlled by Earth and Mars, and it's exploring yeah. kind of class and race yeah. and, and all language and all of this other stuff through the lens of science fiction. And yeah. Like me and you talking about this is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I love, it's a thought experiment. Science yeah. fiction is a thought experiment, and I, I love them. They're great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's just one of the things that I love talking about, about utopia, but I'm just, you know, I don't know. I've, I've never gotten into science fiction. It's never too late, you know. I tried The Expanse. It was kind of like started too slow for me. I don't know. Maybe because I tried to watch it on a bus. That probably didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, 
No, I really like it. I think I really like the expanse because so in a lot of science fiction, ships have got shields mm-hmm. and aren't fire, they're firing lasers. Whereas in the expanse, they're firing bullets. And if you get a bullet hole in your ship, the air starts coming out, and that is terrifying. Ooh. I love yeah. that. It's great. And it's quite realistic, um, I would say. It's yeah. Well, I mean, apart from you know all the weird protomolecule. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Actually, it's not realistic I, I, at all. I, I love, I love the, the polit- I love political science fiction. Yeah. So I really like because yeah. that's the you know we we how do you build utopia what happens what are the what are the structures that yeah. support that in a political sense uh, yeah i find it really fascinating can we talk about tech some more though <laughs> yes yes no I, absolutely and so talking about science fiction one of the sectors in tech which i guess develops it the most is deep tech yeah. A lot of innovation comes out of deep tech and it's exactly the type of innovation which can support some of the things that we that we just spo- spoke about, in- including space exp- space exploration. Mm-hmm. In the UK, I read the Tech Nation report from 2021, shows that deep tech investment has grown by 17%, which is, I think, uh, is the biggest growth uh, year by year for a country in terms of deep tech investment. So why do you think that is that trend occurring in, in the UK specifically and uh, what can be the impact of it? I think ultimately consumer apps can go a certain distance, right? You know, but we have Facebook and it's radically changed our lives. We have Twitter, we have Uber, we have delivery, we have all of these kind of consumer apps, but they're just fulfilling a consumer need. And there's only so much money to be made. Whereas utilizing AI or robotics or the internet of things isn't just like a making somebody's life easier it's not just oh well, you can talk to your grandma in australia or it's not oh well, you can get your food delivered without having to make a phone call it's it's huge it's enormous it's absolutely life-changing stuff you know look at the impacts of ai in health because ai analysis is both faster and more effective than the eye of a human a doctor can look at an x-ray and say can't quite tell if that's broken or not. Whereas an AI who has looked at 7 million pictures of fractures can go, that's definitely fractured. And and so therefore it's just radically upending stuff. And it's not just, it's not just radically, I'm going to, we're talking about class again, but it's essentially, it's getting rid of middle and upper class jobs. But why would you get a doctor to look at an x-ray if an AI can do it instead, right? if it's better at it and it's i don't know is it cheaper i imagine at, at some would point get there yeah yeah but at some point it's a cheaper to train an ai to look at an x-ray or yeah. to see, work out if somebody's got cancer than it is for a doctor to do it and yes we're still going to need doctors but those roles are going to change yeah. so deep tech is a is this radical shift in in humanity i remember when i started my job at iot uk and the first thing, first thing one of my colleagues asked me when I, when I went in was, what are humans going to do with all of the free time that they get when technology has changed the world? You know, when we don't need to do these things, when we have all of, are we going to be artists and crafters and read, whatever that looks like? And I just thought, that's fascinating because that's where deep tech takes us. I don't think work will disappear, yeah. but if the notion of work changes as more and more tech comes into our lives and does those things that that we just don't need to do. And yep. that's what that's, that's the impact of, of deep tech, really. Yeah, I think we live in interesting times. 
definitely. And in these interesting times in the UK, specifically London is definitely leading the rest, uh, the, the race. There are, as you said, London is not the only city in the UK where you can start a successful startups, but do you think there is, do you, do you think the gap between, between the capital and other cities is getting wider or is it, is it getting smaller? I think it's getting smaller. You know, we are seeing these big companies pop up in Manchester, in Leeds, in Edinburgh, in Cardiff. And I think this is only going to be accelerated, as I said earlier, by the changes that have been wrought by COVID, because I just don't see why you'd be in London. I mean, maybe I'm just being naive as a Yorkshire person going, you know, it's so expensive. And every time I go there, I get a cough. <laughs> But that's how I feel about it. Yeah, okay, there comes with it, you know, well, you can go to the West End and see a play and blah, blah, blah. Like, But is it really worth like five times my rent a week or is it really worth like literally never being able to buy a house because I don't have a two million pound deposit? I just don't think it is. And so, you know, we see things like the initiatives, you know, the Northern Powerhouse, we've heard it tried out like, multiple times and we've, we know that there are issues with it because, well, the Northern Powerhouse office is in London. And I do think we've got a problem with government and it's starting to change so we saw we saw conversations about moving the house of lords to york potentially and we see hmrc operating in in newcastle and leeds and we you know and see these government bodies kind of being moved out and i think that that is another piece of of that ecosystem because if the government treats the uk as a big ecosystem where anything can go anywhere then the country will prosper. If the government is only in Westminster and doing Westminster things and only paying attention to London things and things inside the M25, then we have a problem. But I do think the rest of the country is starting to go, do you know what? We're really good. I think I, I work quite closely with Leeds City Council in, in my role. And Tom Rialdon, who's the head, um, he's the chief exec of the council there, has this wonderful vision for for Leeds, which is about how Leeds is a partner of London. And there's not that rivalry. I think often we can see it in yep. Manchester. And Manchester's like, why would you go to London? It's rubbish. Why don't you just do it here? And I think that doesn't work because London's already there. It's already ahead. It's already, you know, at the front of the race. And it's not, even you know, even COVID hasn't tripped it up to the point where it's not a behemoth city. Yep. But if you partner with it, if you say, okay, yeah, absolutely, go to London, get your investment down there, but have your research office, you know, have you have all your data scientists working up here? And yeah, I think I think that's what we're we're seeing more and more and more. You know, North Shoring is hugely popular and we see companies in London starting to go, Do you know what? I don't I think I'm gonna open an office in Sheffield. So we had Egress, a big cyber security company, who started at Barnsley went down to London, have now raised like eye-watering figures and have moved their office, like their, their, their actual operations, yep. to Sheffield. Oh. So, yeah, it's, I think that's the way it has to be. I do think it's still a sad fact that if you want investment, you do have to deal with London organisation. Yep. But let's face it, nobody's been travelling to London in the last year and people have still been getting investment up north. Yeah. So turns out you can just do it on video 
and a video call. So that's pretty exciting. Let's keep doing that and let's see what happens. I think the next five years in tech in the UK are going to be fascinating. Yeah, and this is a good way to segue into the next question, which is particularly about investment. Again, the, in the Tech Nation report, which I read, what struck me is that in 2020, Ho received 88 million in investment, Leeds received 36 million in investment in tech businesses, Sheffield received only 7 million. So why do you think was there such a stark difference uh, in investment in the three cities? And what would you say are the concrete steps that can in- increase investment opportunities in startups in Sheffield? Well, number one, Hull, I've just read an article this morning on Prolific North, and they're going, Hull has knocked Manchester off the plinth. Hull is Hull is a bigger tech city than Manchester. You've been to Hull, it is not a bigger tech city than Manchester. It did an 80 million quid deal last year. And so, because we've counted that, it's 80 million, one deal. Surely the number of deals is actually the most important thing? Yes. Putting that out there. Because... Yeah, I think I don't necessarily even like this. Well, this this area got this much money. We saw it. Leeds got a massive um, chunk of investment in 2018, and then obviously didn't get it in the next year because that big deal was then. Yeah. And so people are going, "Oh my God, investments down!" And like, is it though, or is it just one thing didn't happen? I, I think using investment as a as a way of measuring like how, how successful an ecosystem is isn't very effective. I do think, in Sheffield in particular, there's some really, really, really exciting stuff happening. So Capital Enterprise received £5.9 million to do a three-year programme of of accelerators, both funding the accelerators that exist in Sheffield, so your Twinkle Hive, Razor, who I spoke to this this week, they're, they're starting up doing kind of accelerator stuff. You've got, who else? Shift Tech Parks. Jeff Tech Park doing a lot of stuff. Collider. Collider. Like, it's happening. So this money is, part of this money is going to fund those things to make sure those things are happening, to make sure those things are kind of going along. They're also going to bring in some kind of really well-regarded international accelerators. And I think I'm really excited to see what happens in Sheffield because of this, because Sheffield, and actually I won't even say it's just Sheffield. If I compare the number of seed rounds in Yorkshire with the number of seed rounds in Wales, as an example, Mm -hmm. you just don't get the same quantity of seed funding in Yorkshire. And I think it's a twofold problem. And I've talked about this at great length on various things and at roundtables. And I think in Yorkshire, companies that have been built in Yorkshire are built by Yorkshiremen and women. And Yorkshire men and women kind of like, yeah, but I built this. So why would I give some of it to somebody when when I built it? I'll just grow it myself. And do you know what? That works really well in some cases. Look at um, look at Twinkle. They got, they've never raised a penny of investment. And really? they operate 150 countries in the world. Wow. They're amazing. But that's not kind of standard. And when we think about tech companies, you know, we do think about Instagram was sold to Facebook for a bill, like it had a billion dollar valuation. And, and all, you know, that's, that's what we think about when we think about tech companies, don't we? We think about these huge raises and VCs, and that's how you, how you grow these companies really fast. So you need to start at the beginning. You need to start at the seed funding stage. You need to get people who have a good idea, who develop it, who have done, you know, done the legwork, they've built something of value. And then they go, right, this is a business. I want to raise 
250k i want to raise half a million quid to take this to the next level to bring in staff to start to sell it to start to think about my journey to internationalization and if you're just growing and there's nothing wrong with growing a company in the uk and doing it slowly and but really you know to power our economy in the uk we need big companies that employ lots of people who all pay tax, who, you know, get that money flowing in, in, in the ecosystem and in the financial ecosystem. So, yeah, I think Sheffield is on the precipice of some really exciting stuff with this, with this team SY project. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see it go. I mean, likewise, you've got stuff like the IOT tribe program, which is operated out of Barnsley DMC I mean, Barnsley punches above its weight massively when it comes to when it comes to tech. You know, DMC, there's now DMC2. They're, you know, they're attracting companies which could be opening in Manchester and could be opening in Sheffield. And they're going, do you know what? No, we're opening Barnsley. And I just think it's really exciting and engaging. And I want to see more towns doing that. You know, I said earlier, oh, well, you need a city to percolate stuff. Do you? Or is Barnsley proving that that's not necessarily true? What is an emerging tech sector that's currently not making the headlines? I think I can't remember from the I can't remember the exact figures from the report. You're doing much better at me than that. But um, create tech, um, so creative tech, um, like the amount of investment in Yorkshire has gone up enormously, and nobody's really talking about it. But I don't know because all the sectors are so complicated as well, though, aren't they? So I work with a company it's called Hark, and they are like do energy management they work in really big across really big they work across a supermarket chain to monitor the amount of energy that fridges are using to see if like that fridge is actually using too much energy so let's fix it and then it uses less but across like a million fridges that soon saves money so they use ai they're an ai company they're a net zero company they're actually on a net zero program yeah all these sectors kind of break down into so many different things. Like is a health tech company that uses AI an AI company or a health tech company? I think headlines is a really rubbish way of, of, um, of looking at what sectors are doing as well, because ultimately health tech, let's take health tech as, you know, yes, of course, health tech is making the headlines, but, but it is literally impacting every single tiny thing in health from you know, monitoring old people who might fall through to the care of of fetuses, you know, people that aren't even born yet, through to like just every single aspect, whether it's the care, whether it's looking after autistic people, with everything, every single aspect. And so technology is, it's just changing every single part of our lives. And I don't think that being a person looking at it from the inside we can even see how much it's changing everything about our lives. I mean, look at the, the the outrage about fake news and how that has it has has changed elections. It has changed the course of history. Pro- proliferation of malicious bots. I mean, you know, would Donald Trump have got in? Would Brexit have happened? There's a really cool company actually in in Yorkshire called logically who use ai to to tackle fake news and i think they're absolutely amazing but every single tech company has a story every single tech company is doing something 
which you haven't thought of, which I haven't thought of. It's just that person, that founder that's thought of it. And so that's, that's amazing. All of these human brains growing human knowledge and endeavor to, to create a more innovative future. I don't think there's, I don't think it's possible to have a headline for every single one of them, but I think every single one of them deserves it. I think that's a that's a good way to put it. Jim, shall we move to the five questions that I ask all of my guests at the end of yeah. the podcast? So the first one is uh, for, for a book. So would you recommend a book that you think founders or future founders should read? You are going to be very appalled with me. I don't really read books about tech or about... I, I read every day. I mean, you can see in the background here, you can see my bookcase. I read hugely i don't read books about tech i read sci-fi and i tell you what i'll recommend i'll recommend a science fiction book i will recommend the city we once became by a lady called nk jemison she's writing about race she's writing about the personification of the boroughs of new york she's writing about lovecraft lovecraft the author was a horrific racist and so she's taking the tropes of his work and she's kind of using them against him in her own work. It's absolutely amazing. And I'm going to count that as, well, that's a diversity and inclusion book because I think it is. She's a black writer. And actually, in the last few years, I've stopped reading white male science fiction writers. That's probably not true. I've mostly read all of them. That's the problem. <laughs> and so I've moved to reading much more kind of read more black writers, I, I read more Asian writers, and it's so much more interesting. So if I was going <clears> to <throat> recommend to anybody what they should be reading, I'd say read fiction. You know, we can't spend all of our days. I work, I, I work in tech. I don't want to read about it when I've finished work. I want to read something fun, but I want to read about things that fascinate me, whether that's how do we tackle racism through the lens of science fiction? How do we tackle colonialism through the lens of fantasy? So, yeah, read more writers of colour. That's my main recommendation. Right. Could you tell us now a startup idea that you you had, but you never got off the ground? Well, I can talk to you about my co-working space in Harrogate. So I spent 18 months building a, a co-working space in, in my hometown of Harrogate. And the idea was we were going to bring together everybody. It was going to be creative and digital and tech and it was cool. And I worked really closely with Harrogate Borough Council to build it. And I wrote like a 30 page proposal and it, oh, it was all brilliant. And then I opened it and then I didn't get the grant funding I was expecting after like 12 grand I didn't get. And then Harrogate Borough Council took my 30 page proposal, rewrote, rewrote it very slightly and sent it off to the West Yorkshire Combined Authority and received half a million pounds in grant funding to open my business without wow. me. They didn't like me because I am a socialist. So, so I ended up like closing the business. I had to go bankrupt. The idea was sound, you know, to the point where they've got grant funding for it. And some of the stuff that we were doing there. So I built like a future of work cluster. And on the back of that, ended up going to Denmark to do a workshop on diversity and inclusion at this conference, which was about the future of work. So, yeah, it started. I started percolating this thing by going oh you you two do the future of work you should talk to each other oh you do it as well and that's what like i said earlier it's about seeing what's there and bringing it together yep so yeah you you don't live in sheffield do you 
No, I don't. No, so, but you said that you've been you, you've you've been to Sheffield before before. Yeah, the I mean, before times I used to come all the time and like oh. come and grab coffees with founders and yeah. hang out. Yeah. So, could could you tell us something about the about the city? You know, from the last time, it kind of struck strikes out as a as a memory. Something that you like about the city, maybe. I was very lucky. The very first time I came to Sheffield from work, I met up with Chris Diamond from Sheffield Digital. And we went for a coffee, maybe at Tampa's Cellar Wheel. We sat talking for a bit and he just got me. And then we ended up doing like a little tour of Sheffield and he showed me where Collider was, like the beautiful Brutalist building. I love Brutalism. So I'm a big fan of Eagle Labs in Sheffield when you go upstairs and there's that suspended concrete geometric ceiling oh so beautiful and then he took me around the corner and showed me where there was a former anarchist commune and he took me to the co-working spaces and showed me some of the graffiti and some of the art and I have to say I really love Sheffield I love the feeling of it I love the the friendliness of the people I will say like that's just Yorkshire right but I really like the way it feels like art and tech and culture joined up in Sheffield which I don't think it happens everywhere, and I think it's done really well there. That's great to hear. If you had 15 minutes with your 20-year-old self, what would you tell him? <laughs> when you sent me these, this list of questions, this is the one I went, whoa, that's a big question. So when I was 20 years old, I was signed up sick, intermittently homeless, and not really having that good a time, if I'm honest. And so now I am 35, I have, a, I have a lovely house to live in, I have a beautiful son, I, you know, if I want a thing, if I want, even if I just want chocolate Pop-Tarts, I can just go to the shop and buy them and it's fine because I've got enough money in my pocket. And, like, to picture myself at 20, and there's no way at 20 years old I would have thought that I was, like, not just surviving but thriving i'm, I'm mm -hmm. doing a job where i get paid for something that i just love and that i do anyway so i think to what i tell my 20 year old self is it, it's gonna be all right it's gonna be amazing the future is just gonna be awesome but i don't think i'd believe myself i guess that's the notion of growing yeah yeah, no, I, I, so yesterday I was in Manchester doing a panel on diversity inclusion. We talked about racism and I rocked up. I was wearing this ridiculous suit. It's like green and with gold flowers and pink bees. It's preposterous with a pair of Doc Martens. And I've got my neon pink hair with the purple bit through the front and my neon pink glasses. And my colleague took a photograph of me and I'm sitting there in the chair. I've got the earpiece in, I've got the microphone on, I'm like doing this panel. And like looking at that photograph, genuinely, it's like if I was a kid, I would love, like I would so look up to the human I am now because, you know, I'm, I'm going out there and I'm talking about racism and I'm holding people to account and, and I'm being creative and I've built a poetry practice and all this other stuff. Like I have reached a point in my life where I can be really proud of who I am at 35 and it's taken 35 bloody years. And yeah, that's that's quite exciting for me. And my last question for you is, what is one big, hairy and audacious goal for Yorkshire in the context of your job as Enterprise Engagement Manager? I think what is an audacious goal? 
audacious goal? That's a really tough question. I think the thing that I would love to see is more investment. I really would. I would like to see more investment. I would like to see a culture of, of investment where investors want to invest. High net worth individuals think that tech is worth investing in. Companies that have been founded by, by you know, founders who are excited by the prospect of investment. I think that is the piece that will take Yorkshire from kind of a nascent, yeah, growing ecosystem, but it will take it to, you know, we're massive Yorkshire and our turnover is huge. Uh, you know, we're not going to rival London, but the whole of Yorkshire working together absolutely could. So let's do it. Great. Well, Jim, thank you very much for coming on to my podcast. No, no worries. Anytime. Really nice to talk to you. I hope you've learned something new from this episode for the Yorkshire region and ecosystems and that they seem a lot more enticing to you now than before as they certainly are very interesting. The shift due to the COVID pandemic in which ecosystems are structured and businesses are funded might lead to many unanticipated changes in the coming years. And in the coming days, it's time for the second episode of the Building Ecosystems rubric, coming out on Thursday, April 15th. Another very interesting conversation about what defines an ecosystem, how to measure success within it, and why the Startup Weekend is a great building block for entrepreneurial cities. In the meantime, please subscribe to Shiv Valley wherever you're listening, or to the show's official Twitter account. Connect with my personal LinkedIn, and visit the official Shiv Valley website, all links in the show's notes. Shiv Valley is supported by Sheffield Technology Parks, one of the integral parts of Sheffield's ecosystem. I wish you a great day, and until next time.